I'm Dan Carell, CEO of the Digital Commerce Alliance, and this is Commerce Code, a bi-weekly digital commerce podcast for leaders in card linking, loyalty and digital marketing, mobile wallets and payments, and financial data. Thanks for joining this running conversation with leaders in the industry. And if you like this podcast, come join us at a Digital Commerce Alliance event. You can learn more at www.digcomall.org. This week, I'm talking with Erica Navarro from Rethink Loyalty. Erica is the vice president of client success at Rethink, and she has long been a leader in the loyalty and the rewards space. Rethink is creating a zero cost, zero friction rewards program that works across tens of thousands of retailers. Um, we had Rethink on Commerce Code a year ago or so when I talked with the founder and CEO, Simon Goldstein, about the evolution of loyalty rewards. Today, Erica and I are talking about how to create accessibility and engagement in loyalty rewards programs. We're breaking down the rewards business model in plain English, figuring out how the different players in the rewards space are behaving a little differently now, and talking about how people think and behave differently in an environment where their wallets are thinner. We're also talking about the Stanley Cup, new tires, jerseys, and cheese. I believe this is the first time cheese has formally come up on Commerce Code, but let's be clear. I'm usually thinking about it. I just ate some just now. Stay tuned for a deep dive with Erica Navarro from Rethink Loyalty. And first, a word from our sponsor, Pentadata. Commerce Code is sponsored by Pentadata, the all-in-one financial data API. Whether it is bank account data, credit card transaction data, or credit reports and credit scores, Pentadata has it all in one simple and easy-to-use API. With coverage of over 6,000 banks, over 200 million credit files, and 60 million merchants, you can get all the data you need for your apps at pentadatainc.com. Erica, thank you so much for joining us today on Commerce Code. Where are you joining us from? I'm joining you from Toronto, Ontario, good old Canada. I wanted to talk and start our conversation about kind of what's different in 2023, or even we could say just in the last year or so. And I'll, I'll put it this way. We've had conversations with many member companies. I mean, it's been the, the, it's been the scenery or the backdrop to the play in digital commerce for, for quite a while that the economy and consumer psychology and people's behavior, you know, from people from investors to companies to consumers kind of attitudes and, and stuff have changed a lot. And that's a long way of saying what you could say is, hey, we're in a recession and things are different. Well, we're not. Things are just weird. And so consumer psychology has changed. And I just would be really interested to get your angle on what's changed since, let's just say, since the economy turned a year plus, you know, two years going on now ago, and how you think things are different in digital commerce from your perspective. Thanks for that. It's such a great question. As as a whole, Rethink Loyalty, we're really quite excited at the opportunities. So yes, things have really changed. We believe that, and we're, and we're seeing it in stores and online, that people are thinking more about what they're purchasing. Discretional income has changed a lot. And individuals are not in that heyday of, you know, I'll just buy because it's available or it's cheap. People are really starting to think much more about, am I purchasing from places I want to purchase from? We know that people are making choices that are aligned with their beliefs. 
And we know that they're thinking a lot more than they used to. On the flip side, there's great opportunity for merchants and brands and big box stores that traditionally have been able to sell on their pricing or because there was a frenzy for purchasing. They now are looking much more closely at engaging their consumer, caring about what their consumer cares about, and looking for ways to reward them. So really looking at that loyalty piece. How do I remind you that I care about you and what you're purchasing? And how do I make it easier for you to engage and to have access to the things that matter to you? So, yeah, because from a distance, you know, you could say the economics of it are, oh, people who are spending less money on discretionary stuff. They're spending, you know, they're necessarily spending a higher proportion of their income on non-discretionary, right? But I think at a closer view, we might say consumers, even in the non-discretionary categories, grocery shopping, whatever, are engaged in a little more critical thinking. It's not just throw it into the cart about, you know, what are the brands, et cetera. And then into the discretionary category, people are thinking more critically, really more critically, I guess, about, to your point, what's the brand? Who do I want to connect with? Given the money is more literally more and figuratively more expensive now than it used to be. And there's maybe less of it as a result. I'm just thinking a lot harder about who I want to connect with and why. Exactly, exactly. And we really, for a long time, the consumer, not that they were a secondary thought, but we knew that as as merchants or as retailers that we could put things out there and people were excited and they would buy because money was good. Now it's it's about my relationship with you. So if there's a brand, if there's a product, if there's an opportunity for myself as a consumer to be appreciated, and I know I'm being appreciated, then it makes it easier for me to part with the money that's harder to come by. That's a, a quick take, and we're going to unpack more of this as we go. A quick take on the consumer psychology change. But, you know, I'd said it at the outset is we, we see the whole value chain has changed, right? Everybody saw that investor attitudes changed, you know, very like on a dime with the change of the economy. But there's also a, a sort of an aspect of, you know, digital commerce happens overwhelmingly in, in an ecosystem of collaborating companies and partners. And I wonder if you've got an angle on how you see companies or partners behaving or thinking or whatever differently now than they would have a couple of years ago? So definitely collaboration is a big one. So we are seeing more companies looking at how can they collaborate to cause greater engagement and to have that loyalty piece from their consumer stay strong. So there's definitely a collaboration piece that's happening between companies that we didn't see as much before. And whether that's, you know, things like co-branded cards or multiple merchants coming together. The investor piece has changed a lot. You know, we were very fortunate for a while there that investors were just, there was a lot of them and they were interested in a lot of different spaces. Now investors as well are being more critical about how they're investing their dollars and is there an opportunity for them to have impact in a multitude of places? So again, that collaboration now becomes really important. So if I'm a company like Fanatics, who we do some work with, they're looking at how can they partner with the different brands to make it easier for their customers 
And all of those pieces of the puzzle now become much more important. It's not as linear as it used to be. We know the folks at, at Fanatics as well. I think probably um, through you in part, and may, maybe had them on Commerce Code before, I believe. And you know, it's it's an interesting business. Just theirs as an example, because this is sort of fan gear for, let's say, uh, the NHL. And I know that there are a couple of of teams playing for the Stanley Cup right now from ponderously far south of where you're sitting um, currently. And so this may might be a little off the radar screen of the typical, but uh, right now. But anyway, you know that's that gear is, and I think that the riff or the the basic point at, at a place like there is that people don't buy those products that often, but their level of like psychological engagement with a team is quite high, right? The the affiliation and the and the connection. And so it's there, it's sort of a, how do you, how do you connect the dots and get consumers able to engage and access the products that they want to get to? And those are, you know, those are very discretionary purchases. Very much so. So Fanatics is such, such an interesting company and, and we are incredibly fortunate to be working with them. It's been an absolute blast. So their, their example is so relevant to what's happening today. You're hundred percent correct. Buying a jersey is not something you do every day, although there's a lot of fans out there who would love to be able to do that. Um, it is one of those ticket items that is more expensive than, you know, just going and buying a t-shirt. And it speaks to that love and belonging that we all have to be part of a team. And so when we want to buy a jersey, finding a way to make it possible becomes top of mind. Fanatics, their old model was the traditional loyalty and reward model in that when you purchased at Fanatics, you got fan cash. So you bought a jersey, you got fan cash, and then you would have to buy another jersey or another item to get fan cash. And what they realized was that their customers were really loyal to them and they wanted to find a way to do the same back. So they opened up their fan cash program so that their customers could earn fan cash anywhere. And that's the difference with our current model, the Rethink Loyalty model, is that we now allow the customer to now earn fan cash everywhere they shop. So when you take a look at like the top retailers that have not changed with the current economic situation, you know, companies like Walmart or Best Buy or Costco or Target. When you think about those companies before, if you were a fan cash customer and you were trying to save fan cash dollars to buy another jersey, you were not getting fan cash dollars when you were purchasing your everyday items that you need every day in those places. With their fan cash plus model, they now have opened up over 65,000 different retailers and restaurants that their members can now earn fan cash at. So when they're earning, they're spending on everyday things, and now they're accumulating that fan cash faster to be able to put towards their jerseys. So when we take a look at the current economic situation where people don't have that those extra dollars to spend on a jersey, now we're letting them have access to that jersey that they want that's part of their, you know, love and belonging. Their it builds self-esteem to be part of a team and that you know you get that pride with, you know, wearing your 
Vegas Knights or your Panthers right now who are in the Stanley Cup playoffs to wear that jersey and represent, you now have an opportunity to get those fan cash dollars to get that jersey by doing your everyday shopping of picking up your groceries, of getting, you know, non-fancy things like toilet paper and mouthwash that we all need you're now earning fan cash. So that access now changes. And the outcome in terms of loyalty or feeling good about fanatics totally changes. And this is now accessible to all kinds of companies to be able to do that. I want to come back to these really important business model questions, right? And I want to come back to that in a minute, but I want to stick with kind of human psychology for, for a second the pivot is you can buy toilet paper. And I mean, it, it took until I think it was last month um, for us all to work through the backlog of <laughs> stockpiled toilet paper that was purchased in 2020, but we're there, they're selling it again. And so you're, you're buying toilet paper, you're, you're generating points. And I think I want to talk a little bit about like st- stranded points or, or breakage maybe for a minute. And so I think that at the point of the pivot that you've described, which is Look, it used to, you know, used to be a narrower program, and now it's broader where you can generate points through um, any different channel. The issue with the narrower programs, I'm going to just say it this way, and then you can correct it all or make it sound correct, right? Which is, the issue is that you've got, you know, all of us have some programs that are that are experiencing stranded points where we just can't keep track of it all, or maybe we just don't have enough points, or we're just like, oh, I think maybe I kind of have that. Or even if we're fully aware of it, we look at it and go, I'm never, I'm not going to get enough points to make any use out of this, so who cares? Um, and so that's kind of breakage, I think. And the idea with this is to spread that out. So, you know, I, I kind of think there's a limit to how many different things that humans can keep track of. We have very limited bandwidth. And so this is maybe a play to try and take the the smaller programs and then attach them to the bigger picture of me walking through the grocery aisle. That's how I'm kind of thinking about it. But I mean, is that the right way to think about shifting the psychology? I, I think that's the best way to think about it. So with loyalty programs today, there's over 2 billion different loyalty programs in the USA, just to give you an idea. Right. So like whether this is your local coffee shop or it's where you get your oil changed or your grocery store, there's just so many of them. And traditionally, they've created them in such a way that they, the whatever the company is, is funding that reward for you. And so that's where that idea of breakage came in. And so what that breakage means is that if I'm a coffee shop and you come in and you get points and you don't use them, because I am funding those points, that money continues to sit with me because it was an expense for each individual company or merchant to do that. In our model, the total reward package that the individual gets is funded by the partners. So we take what used to be a cost center for a company And we can turn it into an actual profit center for a company. So breakage and holding on to breakage now is not something that is needed. So that's the first first part. The second part that you were talking about around having all these out in cyberspace points or dollars or whatever it is, there's been so many different programs, loyalty programs that really were broken from the standpoint of it required you to accumulate so many points and usually just in one location for those points to be meaningful. 
with programs like FanCash Plus, you, we've opened that up. And because you're earning points everywhere that you're shopping anyways, now it's always meaningful. And that particular company, so Fanatics in this case, is always top of mind. So you go and you pick up mouthwash. Fanatics is top of mind because you just earned some fan cash. Then you go, you pick up some pizza at the pie company and you've just earned fan cash. And so Fanatics is top of mind again. And you have this feeling that it's almost like the company's taking care of you. And we as consumers, as, as humans, uh, you know, having this experience here, we want to be taken care of in different ways. We want to be appreciated. And so now if you're going to go and get your tires changed and you're going to get fan cash towards purchasing a jersey for your favorite team, all of a sudden it feels like they're taking care of you. Well, and the tires to which you might be less emotionally connected take on like a more, whatever, a significance. And I don't know how that exactly works out. Exactly. Right. So now for the different companies, they have an opportunity to really connect with their customer in a way that's meaningful, which was lost in the traditional programs because you were only rewarding me when I was doing the behavior that you wanted, which was shop in your store. Right. And we've changed that, which is really at this point in time, really quite exciting for different brands and also for the customer. I want to make sure everybody listening understands the sort of the business model aspects of this. I said I wanted to come back to the business model. So here I am coming back to the business model. And I'll say, I want to make sure I understand it correctly too, because I think this is one of the things that's both fun and cool about digital commerce, but also uh, challenging is that there are an infinite number of ways that the the Lego bricks can be snapped together, you know, to create sort of a business model or a way that this works. So you mentioned the program as you structure it is funded by partners. And so I wanted to come back and unpack what's inside that box when you say partners in terms of exactly who's, and maybe we stick with that example of you've got, you know, a Vegas Golden Knights jersey, if that works, I don't know, that you're trying to work towards, but you're shopping for tires. Like, talk to me a little bit about who the partners are and where the money flows. I'm going to go with the Panthers just because there's a few more Canadians on that team. So, okay. so I'm trying to get a Panthers jersey. I do not have one. Let's say the retail value is $200 and I don't have that, that money. I don't have it right now, but I want to have it for Christmas. Let's say that because it's summer, let's say I want to get a brand new barbecue. So uh, first of all, I've registered as a fan cash plus member through Fanatics uh, on their website. I'm, I'm on there. I'm now able to collect points and I want to purchase a barbecue. So I go through the platform and I purchase a barbecue. And let's say I purchase that barbecue at Lowe's. So when I complete that transaction, Lowe's through their loyalty and rewards program funds the fan cash. So it's not Fanatics that's funding the fan cash. It's the partner that's funding the fan cash. So now I have this fan cash. And it's a Weber, let's just say it's a, it's a Weber grill. It's not Weber that's funding that in any way. It can be, but with, with the majority of retailers, it's the retailer themselves. And then they sometimes have other relationships with each of the, of the, of the different brands. So in this case, let's say that it's just Lowe's who is helping to fund that fan cash. 
So I, as a FanCash Plus customer, I now have, let's say, $3 in my FanCash account. And then I go and I pick up some tablecloths and whatever for the picnic table. And I go to a different merchant. I go to Kohl's and I pick stuff up there. And then I need to buy some other stuff and I go to Walmart and I pick up stuff there. And by the end of the day, I've gone to five different merchants or retailers and each one of them through my purchases has given me an amount of fan cash. And it's not fanatics that is having to put that money in. It is the different merchant partners that mm-hmm. help to fund that. And just like completely mechanical, but again, for you know, Commerce Code listeners or the, the kind of people who run these programs to some extent, it's I'm going, I'm going to buy, you know, I'm doing, I'm the, I'm the protagonist here. I'm going to do all these things. Right. And I'm going to what register my card at the yeah fanatics website. And then if I use that card that, and it's with a retailer that's on the program, is that how it works or is it different from that? Correct. So in our program, in, in the fan cash plus program, we have uh, online merchants, we have brick and mortar in mm-hmm. store, and we also have restaurants. So when you register yourself as a FanCash Plus member, you register your credit card and that gets attached to your profile. So whenever you shop online, it goes through, you use your credit card, away you go. You activate your offers for restaurants, for in-store locations. You use that same card when you go and you have your meal out or you go and you purchase. And each time, because that's registered to your FanCash Plus program, it generates FanCash for you. I'm assuming what's going on, and this gets to the sort of incrementality and just in, in, and inflecting consumer behavior. I'm assuming what's going on is I registered the card, I'm on the site, and I'm going to see that a barbecue seller, A, is registered as a retailer, and I'm going to notice that the retailer B maybe isn't, right? I don't see them on the list. And so that exactly. says, I'm going to go to A, because if I buy the, you know, there, then, and that's the incrementality that the retailer cares about. Exactly. And the other part that's really great from a transparency perspective is that when you go on to the Fat Cash Plus site, you can look up any retailer you want. And if the retailer is there, it's going to tell you exactly how much fan cash it's giving you back. So some are 2%, some are 4%. You could be looking. So as a, as a customer now, you know, we were talking a little bit about access and engagement. So if I am trying to save for something and this is the way that I'm going to save for it, then I can go through and I can say, okay, I'm looking for running shoes. And there's four different places that are selling running shoes on the fan cash plus site but one of them is at 6% and one is at 2%. I'm going to go to the one that's at 6%. I now have choice. And so as a consumer, I feel like I'm you know, still in the game with choice and I'm getting back fan cash that's going to get me closer to my goal of getting my Florida Panthers jersey for Christmas. So I'm going to I'm going to go down a slight side road on the choice thing. And we had this conversation with Points for Purpose folks the other day or a few weeks ago, maybe choice. If you have enough of it leads to complexity that can kind of cause people's brains to say, oh, like too, yes. basta, you know, too much. Right. And so how do you guys think about kind of the relationship between providing the right level of enough choice without blowing people's minds? Such a great question. And, and we've been talking about that uh, actually this morning around how do you make it easier for a person 
to not be overwhelmed by the choices. So one of the things that you can do as a consumer is that you have the opportunity to favorite things. So if you favorite them, then every time you go onto, you know, the the web app version or the website, your favorites are going to pop up. So if you like shopping at Nike or you like shopping at Walmart, it's always going to pop up and you're going to be able to see that because you have favorite it. So it shows you your favorites first. In terms of relevancy, we like, I mean, all loyalty programs are doing it. We like to think that we're doing a fabulous job at it is the ability to create algorithms that show us through your clicking where you're going most often, and then those get populated further up. So that if you're always going to Lowe's and you're never going to Home Depot, we're probably not going to have the Home Depot on the main screen, but Home Depot is there and available for you to actually purchase from. That seems like the compromise that a lot of folks would kind of works. In other words, for example, you know, Amazon makes it very easy to do things and everything's still there. I mean, there's still the incredible amount of complexity. You can confuse yourself all you want on Amazon, but what they'll do is the stuff that tends to come up first is the stuff that you tend to want. And then, you know, that simplifies it in that way. And you have the ability to search in so many different ways. We've tried to make things as user-friendly as possible for the fan on Fanatics, for example. And then we have some other clients where we're doing the same thing. So like what's most relevant to you? So if you're a fan, you're probably going to be looking at things like, you know, eating and drinking because we tend to associate those two things with fan engagement. This time of year, we have a lot of outdoor things and sport things so that when you open up and are looking at the actual platform, you have sections that have already been curated in that way. So there's a need and drink section. So, oh, okay, I want to, what do I want to eat today? Or I'm having everybody over for the game tomorrow night, Stanley Cup game, what am I going to order? And you can do all of those things through there. And so we really try to curate it for that fan experience in the case of of Fanatics and FanCash Plus. And then we add that other layer of, you know, where have you visited frequently and let's get those up to the front. And we encourage you to add your favorites. So really trying to make that navigation and that engagement as easy as possible for the member. I mean, to me, this is a pretty good illustration. And this, again, is a side road, but I'll make a comment. And then I want to jump to looking forward and think about like where we're headed. But it's a great example of uh, the importance of data and the power of, of having you know, good data about um, people's uh, behavior you know, within an environment. It's permissioned. It's, you know, they know what's going on. But like, so much of success, I, I think, in digital commerce is how do we make it easy for people to do the things that they want to do? And the only way to do that in a world of needle in a haystack type problems, which is just everything these days, is um, to have good information about what people's preferences appear to be, or at least to be able to, to stack things up in a way that we know that they'll be highly responsive to. And that all requires having really good data models. A hundred percent. So uh, really making sure that not only that you're asking the right questions of your members and consumers, fans, you know, all of those people that are playing within your ecosystem, but also constantly looking at the best way to engage that group as a whole. So stepping back from the transactional component and taking a look at, you know, what, if I'm a fan, what's important to me? 
if I'm somebody who is interested in Points for Purpose, which is a brilliant platform, what is it that's important to me as, as that person? And then building out your platform and your engagement and your communication in such a way that speaks to the individual. Shopping as a whole is a very emotionally driven act. So you go to the store to buy something with, with purpose. I go to the store to buy one thing with purpose, Erica, but I, and then I walk up and down the aisles and I don't want this to be a, in any way, a stereotypical conversation. Cause I've heard this characterized as something that like guys do, but you know, and I come back with some number of, my wife refers to it as snack shopping, right? Dad goes off for groceries and comes back with snacks. I will not opine as to how correct that is. But anyway, so I continue though. Emotions definitely play in because I'm very emotional about cheese. And I think there's other food groups too. <laughs> That's a whole side podcast, the emotional attachment to cheese for sure. Oh. So what's interesting about that is that even within that experience, so if you were registered on, on FanCash Plus and you went to Walmart and you were supposed to go pick up X, but you ended up picking up YZ and everything in between, you would be getting the FanCash Plus plus incentive. And so in that you would get fan cash. And so there's that emotional attachment to it. When you're in the store, what draws you to purchase, you know, the snacks instead of the, I'm going to say that you weren't buying, you know, snack vegetables and maybe snack something else is still very emotionally driven. And so if we can make sure that we're looking at the whole person within our ecosystems of, of engagement, we're going to have greater successes in their experience. We're going to have greater successes from a business perspective because we know that we're taking care of them and they know we're taking care of them. Just a, an aside on this and then, and then and we'll, wanna, we'll, we'll talk about the future, but you know, whole, this gets to the sort of in the, in the industry, this issue of whole basket rewards versus you know, particular thing. And I think it's a, most acute, maybe the distinction there in you know, sort of the grocery context, because some stuff is super low margin and some stuff is pretty, pretty high margin. And so it, it feels different, I think, to the merchant and other players in, in the supply chain, right, as to like where the, the rewards are concentrated. But here's a hypothesis. Dudes that do uh, snack shopping, right, who go in for one thing and come out with 12, and with maybe the jersey in the back of their mind might be more motivated or their behavior more inflected by whole basket rewards because they're just saying like, hey, like I don't have to like think about, you know, which thing has has what it's let's go in and, and then we can increase the size of the total basket, which absolutely matters to all merchants, right? Absolutely. So one, I mean, our tagline is rewarding your member, your customer everywhere they shop. So they spend more with you. So whoever you are. So like in the case of fanatics, it's rewarding the fan everywhere they shop. So they spend more at fanatics. And so then you don't have that feeling of, oh, I can only go to that store and purchase that thing to get a reward. It's now okay, they care about me as a whole person. I'm now acquiring fan cash in a whole basket format. And I can just go and take care of the things that I need to take care of. And then I have these fan cash dollars that I can then use towards this item that maybe a year ago or two years ago, I would have purchased without thinking twice about it. But this year, I have to be more careful. I'm now finding a way to save for that 
so that I can still have it as part of, of my enjoyment as a fan. I want to close in maybe last couple of minutes here with looking forward, what do you, and I'll just cut to maybe this question, Erica, which is, what do you think is, is going to be most different in about 2025 in the loyalty space? And, I, and I'll frame it a little bit to give you a second to kind of think about that. We're, the stuff that we see going on, you know, Web3 and blockchain, to include, but not at all limited to NFTs. I was just talking with, with a member the other day about whether NFT as a term is going to survive. But, you know, you've got these possibilities that are coming out of new technologies. There's also obviously the metaverse, there's other things going on. Um, but then there's also just basic business model changes. And, you, you know, we've just been talking about one across the last half an hour here. And so I wonder what you see happening now and what you think is going to feel most different in, you know, two, three years to people. So we've been uh, incredibly fortunate to have conversations at the forefront with, you know, meta metaverse type organizations and Web3 and NFTs, and they all are really looking at how can they increase access and engagement in those spaces for their people. So looking forward, I would say that you're going to have more programs that are looking at the holistic component of the consumer. And for success, there's going to be opportunities for people to do educating along with the consumer engagement piece. So almost like an edge selling. So I'm going to educate you on, let's say, Web3, or I'm going to educate you on NFTs within a space that you are purchasing items and helping you build that future. So I do think that there's a lot of opportunities there. I also believe that this piece around consumer engagement, loyalty rewards is just going to keep getting bigger. There's over 84% of adults in the US have a credit card. And 73% of them have one before they're 25 years of age. So in order for us to really have their attention, we need to make sure that they feel like they are cared for in their consumption. That it's not just we're trying to get money out of you, but we're also giving back in different ways. And by the way, you know, that idea that you're being cared for might sound to some people as, you know, kind of like a, an abstraction or a spin or whatever. But, you know, I'll say it is, in fact, a fundamental service of some, you know, many credit cards, right? It's like we have both points and loyalty. And then we have literally like insurance policies that are baked into this thing. We have ways that you can, depending on the card, right, you get stuck in a foreign country, we'll, I don't know, helicopter you out, whatever. There's a lot of services that have come along for a long time. And I think to the point where younger consumers just are aware of it, like this precedes them being alive. So I think there's a sense in which we can have relationships with commercial organizations where you can create that expectation and you can deliver on it in different ways. I want to leave it there. This has been a delightful conversation. Thanks, Erica. Have a great one. Commerce Code is brought to you in part by Vantage Score. Nine of the top 10 banks and over 3,000 leading banks and fintechs use Vantage Score to predict and manage repayment risk. Learn more about the latest advances in credit scoring and how to grow your lending business by leveraging financial inclusion at VantageScore.com. 
Commerce Code is a bi-weekly podcast bringing you conversations with executives who are leading the way in digital commerce. If you like Commerce Code, your company should join the Digital Commerce Alliance and become part of our mission of advancing trade for good through standard setting, industry networking, conferences, and best practice sharing. Check out our website at www.digcomall.org. On behalf of DCA, have a great week.